0: actually love what you just said about the positive approach to this because i think there is there's so much negativity about i think there's, with good reason there's a lot of hard things about being a vet um, but it's very nice to look at the other side of that and what are the positive things and what are the things you can do to get to those positive places i think that's very good to focus on that actually
1: In this episode, we speak to Victoria Johnson, a specialist veterinary radiologist and the founder and director of VetCT, a global leader in teleradiology and telemedicine. We dig deep into diagnostic imaging as a career choice, the hows, the whys and the why nots and everything else you want to know about it. Victoria tells us her secrets to maintaining a healthy relationship when your significant other is not only a vet, but also your business partner. A situation that is not at all rare in our profession. And of course, I can never resist asking a fellow parent, and especially a parent who is such an accomplished
2: business owner, how they balance parenting with caring for what Victoria calls
1: the other child, your business.
2: We also got some pro tips from someone who's been immersed in remote working with teams over Zoom for years. This is before even COVID started and before the rest of us had to join on to this video conferencing bandwagon. And she shared with us how to successfully communicate remotely with her team or with team members without losing the human touch. But before we even started the interview, we fell into an unplanned conversation about the responsibility that we have ourselves as vets for our own well being and how sometimes we sabotage our own happiness. So let's get straight to it with Victoria Johnson.
1: And I think the reason I personally feel strongly about it is I was quite negative for the first five to 10 years of my career. So I, and and, and in, as I changed and as I started enjoying it more, I looked back at it and went, a lot of that negativity was, was just my own fault to some degree. Yeah, there were, as you say, there are challenges, but there's challenges in, in every career. And I, I made, I made myself miserable and I could have been, I could have been, had a much happier 10 years in my first 10 years if I, if I had the right sort of support and mentoring. So that's what I'm trying to, to provide to other young women.
0: Good on you. It's excellent. No, I totally, I think part of the problem is as well, you will have such a fantastic time in vet school. I love vet school. It's like the best time of my whole life. <laughs> and then suddenly it's like a hell of a shock to come out and, and be, yeah, I, I, cause I definitely had a pretty rough couple of first years and, and I, I agree. I look back and if I'd had more support and the right attitude possibly, I'm not coming down from such a high of five years of partying and
2: excellent fun. I, got, I was involved in a initiative and the goal, it was, it was quite an honourable goal, an honourable mission, which was to try to increase awareness of the difficulties that veterinary professionals face on a day-to-day basis, dealing with, you know, difficult decisions, life and death decisions, euthanizing patients, financial conversations, difficult clients, those kind of things. And I was like, you know, actually, that's a really cool thing that I think owners should be aware of. But then I realised after it was like almost futile. It's a futile mission, right? And it's also a desperate one. It's like, please help us when we should be going, you know, look, it, we can't change the way that they are, but we should be able to look into ways to change how we are.
0: And how we react to them. And the situation.
2: How do we set up ourselves up with, with habits and skills and systems, which make sure that we are, you know, like motivated, energized, or be able to bounce back from those difficult conversations to be able to go into the next public consult, you know, those kind of things um and having wind down rituals whatever they are like so you get home and you uh, connect connect with your family it's never easy but i don't think the solution would be investing time and asking for pity yes
0: quite right i completely agree with you yeah absolutely right and you you won't change owners you really won't if if anything it's become i don't know with with the generational changes it's going to be harder and harder to change owners that they, they they are different to the owners of 10 15 20 years well
1: th- this is the other aspect of it of the performance stuff as, as i see it is you can't just go talk to owners and tell them to be different but you can't change them through what you do so some of the stuff that we complain about is a little bit self-induced so when people complain about bills and that or they're funny about money and they hide on us there is a little bit of self-examination that should go on to say well the, how did i set that up did i did i am i actually a little bit accountable for that i'm not saying there aren't assholes in the world there's lots of those
0: mm. and, and
1: you have mm. to just live with them but but uh, probably a lot of it is you, you can't change them a little bit by by how you do it and that's mm.
0: i agree and it's, it's interesting there's funny things about the way our profession is set up in some ways uh, we had a thing last year where we did like a round table discussion about some of the telemedicine services were doing but as a result of that we got sort of quite a few big hitters in the UK came along one of them was the RCBS president at the time and he said something really interesting to me He was like it is interesting how we deal with financial conversations with owners if you go to the dentist in England you go to the dentist and you see the dentist as the clinician who does the dental treatment and then you go out and you get the bill and you discuss that with the practice manager and the receptionist. You never talk money with the dentist, and here again, you never talk money with the doctor. But as vets, we often do talk money with the clients, the pet client, owners. That's obvious, and in some ways, it kind of it changes the relationship a bit. And I thought that was quite an interesting point. I'd never really thought about it like that. Is if you one's one's a doctor and one's a kind of business account side of things, and if maybe we should profession try and separate those conversations more.
1: I'm all for that. The the vet probably has to demonstrate the value of what we're about to do, so um, so there's an important aspect of that. But I I do think it would be. I try and do that in my in my emergency clinic, Um, but that's mainly because I'm really terrible at talking about money. I I get all awkward about it. So my strategy is is I just I talk I demonstrate the value, and then I'll just say, I'll send an estimate out to the front. Um, My receptionist will talk you through it, and if you if there's any questions, then I'll pop out and we can, we can discuss other plans. But but I, I'm terrible at, you know, Gerardo, they, they're very good at teaching this to their veterinarians, is that you say the plan, you say the estimate, and then you have to shut up instead of immediately going, oh, what we can do is just do less and, you know, make it cheaper. I, I, I very much lean towards that. Or we can just do something. So now I print out the estimate, go look at it. If there's a problem, we'll talk about it.
0: Oh, I think quite right, Gerardo, that's, that's the way to do it. And I think one of my friends, who's an equine vet, who's probably a bit better at this, equine surgeon, he always says, do a good job and charge properly. And I, I think having that confidence to say that is very important, actually. And knowing that we value what we do. But, but I think a lot of vets are naturally nervous about doing that, particularly new grads. I think it's a hard thing. But your skin sounds good. It sounds really cool.
2: Oh, would like it's... Well, my partner is one of the best invoices in the business. So so I kind of got to like pick up the skills a little bit. But um, well, my, I, I have a personal coach and he is a um, public speaker. And he listened to like a couple dozen of our consults. And and, and, and what he did is like he, he goes, you know what? I've watched you guys time and time again. I see the body language that you guys present to guys and to like the, our veterinary team. This is this is how it looks like. And then he replayed this kind of like thing. And we're just like, oh, you look like that. And he goes, that's what you look like. You don't even look at them. You talk about you pat the dog. So, when, <laughs> so what to do is there's going to be around about fifteen hundred dollars patting the dog. And he goes, You gotta, you gotta, you gotta look him in the eye. It's gonna be fifteen hundred dollars.
0: Yeah. Know my value. It's true. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> And, 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 and then when like when, when I, I like you think that you no one knows right but he goes like there is no confidence in anything that you guys are saying right at the end there when you should have absolute certainty
0: Did they take it on board have they changed
2: mm-hmm. mm. and then we, we just created an open discussion around it so how'd you go oh it was so hard i was shaking and and i didn't want to say in there i counted three one two three and then and then i said do you have any questions Right. Instead of like, all we could do this is like counting. So it was like a real deliberate kind of say it, look in their eyes and count to three.
0: (laughs) And I imagine once they've done it a couple of times, they're like, okay, this is all right. This is good.
2: And you know the standard. You know the standard in which you need to deliver the consult, d- d- deliver the estimate, and then you just can't get back from that. You're like, "That's how I have to do." It. I didn't do it well on that one. Gosh, I've got to do better next one. So it was really good. It was quite a quite quite an opening experience. So,
1: so did it did it make a difference to the average invoice or to the turnover? Like, did you when you started that training, could you could you see it in the books?
2: I don't know. We definitely saw it in in the average services per client for some of our lower income earners, um, lowest lower lower billers. Because you could just, you could hear it in, the, in their estimates, right? And then the language was changing to for what we really like to do. It probably be best for Fluffy to do this. It's kind of like, well, what we need to do is this, da-da-da-da. And it's like, it kind of like, but it took out, it made it easier for them. It's just like, this is what I need to say. This is what I need to do. Follow the formula. Um, so it made it easier for them. And then also at the same time, so they, they but it has to be, it had to be what I realized had to be a consistent reminder, a consistent reminder Every couple of months, we're going to go through this. Every couple of months, so so we're actually going to go through another round of consultation excellence. That's what we call it, and um, reiterate that. And because we get new vets all the time, so mm.
0: good on you. That's such a good approach. More practices should be doing that. They really should. I think it,
2: it, it's not easy. It's not easy, but it was. It, it it just put the power back into your into your court because. You say it because you believe it, so say it because you believe it. And if they say no, it's not, then you have no doubt in your head that it was about the way you delivered about it. It was the doubt, then, like it goes, it's just because the, they just didn't like the plan or they, they couldn't afford it. That's it. It's not like, oh, I didn't deliver it powerfully, so I don't know. We're talking awesome stuff. We, I'm recording, don't worry. Just how we should probably start.
1: I'm Gerardo Poli. I'm Hubert Hemstra, and this is The Vet Vault. Victoria, thank you so much for making the time to join us on The VetVeld. I really look forward to chatting to you.
0: Cool. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: I, I want to start this episode quite practically. When I read about you and was researching you and deciding what we want to talk about, there's so many aspects of you as business owner and entrepreneur and parent. But radiologists primarily, that's sort of the, the starting point where a lot of this was, was built from. So I want to talk about radiology. It's not a topic we've, we've discussed before, radiology as a specialty and as a, as a career choice. And I'll start with a, with a very simple one. What was, what was your decision-making like in deciding, yes, I'm going to become a specialist radiologist? Oh,
0: yeah, no, good question. Um, so I... I had a few years in practice. And um, when I first graduated, I was at Bristol vet school in the UK. And, um, and I, I found those first few years in practice. I, I really enjoyed them, but I also found them quite tough. And I, I was a mixed practice vet as they used to have 20 years ago, fewer, fewer and fewer of those in the UK, I think. And, um, but essentially I did, I did some cattle work. I, I did some sheep work. I did some horses and small animals and just a bit of everything. And I felt, I really like a jack of all trades, master of none. And I, I started to get a bit, um, I guess, fed up with that and, and felt I, I needed to, to try and improve my skills. I, I did some emergency vet work for a while, which obviously is where you guys' are background come from. Um, and as part of that, I, I got increasingly frustrated that I couldn't make a diagnosis because I wasn't very good at radiographs x-rays and I wasn't great at ultrasound and I started to think you know if I could just nail that if I could just do a good ultrasound and interpret radiographs really well I think I could be a much better vet so I started to look around and and look for um residencies and training programs uh, to, to do that and when I actually got a residency in radiology my plan all along was to do that for three years and then go back to being an emergency vet and a general practitioner, but just have a lot more skills in radiology. Um, and actually uh, somehow along the way, I, I got sucked into the world of diagnostic imaging and never went back. Um, so, so that's pretty much how it happened. I, I would say one other thing, I was very much inspired by a, a, a lecturer in radiology when I was at the University of Bristol, who it, to me, it just seemed like she could do magic with an ultrasound transducer. And she was called Fran- Frances Barnes. She's a, a very unassuming, lovely, gentle person. Um, but I remember these uh, very impressive surgeons being completely baffled by a case one day. And she would just simply lay on an ultrasound transducer and tell them exactly what was going on without any invasiveness. And I just remember thinking that was magical, really. Mm. So that's kind of where the attraction came from.
1: I actually, before I started the emergency clinic, I tried to get into an imaging residency because I, I love the, the magic wand. I love an ultrasound machine. It's, my, it's become like my right hand in practice. So I, I wanted to, to follow this, the same journey. I seriously considered, I actually applied for a, for a, for a residency, but, but couldn't get it. Uh, it's a very competitive field what 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 does it look like if we have a listener who's young and is on the same sort of trajectory what's the process these days uh, I don't know if it's the same in Australia and in the US and that but how do you go from GP practice, practicing veterinarian yeah. to specialist radiologist
0: that's an excellent question and um, I think something I should also say and come clean on when I wanted to do this which is such a long time ago it's 20 years ago I started my presidency and um, it it wasn't a very well-known specialty. And actually there was only me and one other candidate that applied for the position that I went for to be a resident. And I I think really I probably wouldn't have got one as easily these days. Um, I was very lucky at the time. Um, Essentially the process these days would be that you have to apply to a residency program at somewhere that has an approved residency. Um, there's three types of residencies you can do. You can do the um, fellowship, Australian route, mm. obviously, and um, there's some uh, places in Australia as well, I believe, that offer the American College Residency, (ACVR) okay. mm. and also the European mm. European College of Diagnostic Imaging. Um, it's usually a three-year program. Some people offer a four-year program. Um, it's pretty full on. It's it's hard work. And there's a lot to learn and a lot to concentrate on. But there's also a kind of joy to focusing on just one topic. Um, in some way, I always think this, is, it's actually easier to be a specialist vet than it is to be a really good GP vet. I have so much respect for my friends who are GP vets, more more than I do for myself as a specialist, because you're trying to own a smaller topic. It's much easier to put everything about radiology than it is to know everything about being a gp vet mm. so so even though it's hard and there's a lot to concentrate on a lot to learn it's a small area it's, mm. it's a smaller field so that makes it easier but the residencies are quite competitive i would say generally i'm a great believer in people going into residencies having already got some practical veterinary skills under mm. their belts i think it's better to do a residency um when you've already done a veterinary profession for a few years a normal vet job it just gives you an understanding of what a gp vet's life is and what types of cases you see and i think as a radiologist it's our job to be helpful to gp vets as much as we can and it's easier to do that if you understand the job of a gp vet and what they're facing and it's also more you can be more relevant um i know somebody a friend of mine who, who hadn't done much general practice once looking at a mass on a cat's head on a CT scan and saying it was fluid filled and it had a thick capsule on the outside and what on earth could this thing be? Well, any GP would know it's an abscess, of course it's an abscess. <laughs> You've really got to do the GP side in order to to get your differentials in order and, and to understand what's common basically.
2: So, mm. oh, I love that. That's the, that's the same as I had uh, colleagues um who went straight into emergency uh and then emergency internship and then worked in emergency and then i joined her she got me i got my job at animal emergency service and then because i came from gp and she would just go try i can't see that one it's just like it's 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 a it's an itchy ear it's just not, i did nothing about ears it's just like Okay, go, no, I'm not going to do this. You go in there, bring the dog out of the back, we'll do it together, okay? But you go in there. <laughs> there it was like a yeast infection is what I do with it now. Just, it's a yeast infection, come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: and I do, there's a, there's a little bit now of people um, identifying that they want to be a specialist at an earlier age. Mm. And and that, for me, I, it never even crossed my mind, to be honest, until i have done a bit of general practice. I kind of didn't really even think about it as a career path. But now I think we get emails at my company from people saying, hey, I'm a vet student in my first year and I want to be a radiologist. And sometimes wow. they say I want to be a telly radiologist, which massively worries me. Um, and I, I usually go back to them and say, look, finish your vet degree. <laughs> yes. go to general- <laughs> going to some general practice. And get familiar with with GP work and then um, maybe consider an internship and then a residency Mm -hmm. at that stage I think that's a kind of good way of going about this but but it's lovely that people really want to do this specialty but I I think we are better as radiologists if we've got that background
2: I think it makes us better at our jobs. I I can understand what you're saying it's like we, we we aim for mastery, right? Mastery gives us a feeling of ah, you know like that we've achieved something, and like exactly we said before, jack of all trades, master of none. When you get to mastery, like mastery is an elusive thing, right? It's never going to ha- ever happen. But the f- still the sense that you've got you've got some sense of mastery in one area, as opposed to like spreading it all everywhere, you know.
1: Yeah, and it's so, a confidence. Yeah. It's a confidence that that spreads to other aspects of your life, knowing that yeah, I'm I'm pretty good at this one thing. Uh, it is a nice feeling to, to have
0: it, 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 I think that it's really important to, to know that that I, I agree with what you just said um you're not yet yeah, it's impossible to master all of it it really isn't but the smaller you make the topic the easier it is to feel like you've got a, a sense of uh, being better at it i guess mm-hmm. um, I, I'm a great believer in having a uh, i guess what they call a growth mindset that you're always learning and you're always open and you're always is trying to develop and get better at what you do. I think that's really important. But it's certainly I I found it much harder to be a GP vet than I do to be a specialist. And I have tremendous respect for people who do a good job in, in emergency or in, in general practice. It's, it's hard. It's there's a lot to know.
1: I just want to get back to how how the journey to getting there. Uh, how do you get into the residency? Because that's the first stumbling block. Are there things that are, that a young vet can do or courses or Hoops they have to jump through to get them first in line to get those competitive residencies.
0: Yeah, that's it's very very competitive these days, and um, it's become a really popular specialty. And oh. um, I think for a lot of different reasons. And um, I think most people who who offer residency programs. Um, I think one important thing to think is you're you're going into a program and you're going to be there for three years. One of the things that the supervisor of that program needs to know is that you're a a nice person, to be honest, and that that actually there's a lot to say for that and and people don't talk about it enough, but you're going to need to fit in there for three years and they want you to be passionate about what you do, to be somebody that they can work with for those three years, um, to be somebody who's keen to learn and to absorb as much information as you can during those three years. I think it's things you can do to try and increase your chances um people who've done things to show they have an interest in imaging before so maybe they've done a publication in imaging or they've done a project or they've gone on some courses to improve their ultrasound skills and, and stuff like that that's all really relevant but i i think Actually, the, the person needs to feel that you're going to be a good fit for that environment. You're going to make the most of those three years, be somebody that that really gets on board with the team spirit and, and gets involved. So that's actually equally important, I would say, yeah. to yeah. picking up 10 publications in imaging beforehand. Um, at least that's how, one of the things I would choose on. Um, passion, Passion and motivation is very important,
1: I think. I, I am also... Curious, so it sounds like you like you like being a radiologist. Are there like if, if you had to advise a youngster, is it a good career choice in that let, let's flip it around? There's there's many positive things, but are there things that, that you don't like or are there misconceptions that us GP vets have about what it's like to be a radiologist that that maybe should be that we should be corrected on?
0: Yeah, no, that's a that's an interesting thing to talk about. Um I would say that there's there's pros and cons essentially so so in the human field radiologists are known for being the kind of no personality doctors who just <laughs> sit back the screen and they never deal with patients and they're really quite boring slightly unpleasant people they have this reputation in human medicine i believe <laughs> <I've been talking laughs> and i i think You have to be a person who uh, is happy to sit in a dark room looking through large numbers of images because that's what the job is. And you have to be very detail-driven and very precise um, and very patient at times. Like you might need to go through things the number of times before you see the lesion. And you've got to have that real investigative get-to-the-bottom-of-things type mind. So I think these are all qualities. Um, You obviously are going to be uh, I will one thing it could be a pro or a con depending on how you look at it but you're not dealing with pet owners anymore so I think it that's very different to some of the other specialties so if you're a specialist ophthalmologist or a specialist surgeon, you're still going to have a consultation with an owner at mm-hmm. that stage of things um, as a radiologist, you don't see an owner anymore now that could be an advantage or a disadvantage <laughs> depending on how you look at it and <laughs> um, you don't your all your interactions are with other veterinarians and um, and I love that I really love that i, I I just actually love vets. I think vets are incredibly uh, kind, passionate people who are just trying to do a good job for the most part. So I, I really enjoy those types of interactions. Um, but that's something that's different. I, I think there's something that's happened in recent years which which worries me um, and we probably should address. Um, radiologists have become very well paid. Um, and that's because they can work in a global market and do teleology across the entire globe and it's become a very um well-paid specialism so that's okay but I think what worries me is that people now start to think oh I might go into that because Mm. I'm driven by the money side of things and that really worries me because I think as vets um, it's important to be compensated properly, but I think we do our job because we care about the patients mm-hmm. and, and that should never become, I'm gonna do a job because I know I can make a ton of cash. That, that's not really the right driver, I think. So, so we as a company try to encourage people to do this job because they care about the patient and they're trying to make a difference to the patient and also a difference to the GP vet who's asked us mm-hmm. about those images. And I think that's very important that that is the driver helping a patient. Um, And to go back to the example of people who contact me in vet school and say, uh, hey, I'm a student, I want to be a teleradiologist. Sometimes that's followed by because I know they make really good money. And I, I always say that shouldn't be a driver. You should want to be a radiologist because you want to help and make a difference. And because you find it absolutely intriguing and fascinating that we can look inside the body without... Actually, cutting the skin, and, and that's a wonderful thing about radiology. The, the way we can do CT reconstructions, the way the ultrasound works, and and you can make a diagnosis of something in a wonderfully non-invasive way, and really make a difference to that patient. That that to me is the driver. Mm. It's very important.
2: It's almost like an accountability, right? Not just accountability to the coin. It's an accountability, a social accountability to the owner and the pet. And and if you don't see that, then yeah, there's, what well, there's no passion. There's like, yeah, I can, I can see what you're saying because sometimes you you don't want to get up and, and go to, to go, go do to your job or go, go do, you know, your practice and be a GP or a emergency vet or whatever. But then if you have this level of like, you know, I'm going there because my clients need me and they need me in my A game because these pets will suffer if I'm not in my A game, then, you know, you, you, if you don't have that, then you potentially just turn up like a robot. So I can, I can see, and I, and I love the idea of what you're saying there, which is like almost like a filter. It's like, I'm not going to hire you if you're here for the coin. you know, it really yeah. has to be a bigger purpose. I,
0: no, it's, that's absolutely, it has to be a bigger purpose. And to me that that makes for much happier veterinarians. Uh, so I think if you go to bed every night and you think, you know what, I really tried my best today, I tried my best for the patients, I tried my best for the owners and my colleagues, then, then that's a, even if you didn't quite get it all right, you, you know, you really tried. And, and that I think makes them for a much more professionally satisfying career. Um, whereas uh, yeah I, I think that if the driver changes from that then then we're not really being true to the reason we went into this profession in the first place I grew up wanting to be a vet from the age of about 12 or 13 I was like sweeping the floors in my local vet practice trying to see what the vet was doing right. and learn <laughs> and, and that you, you want to hold on to that actually it's really important to hold on to that that passion for the career uh, and for, for the pets really and um, but yeah, radiology is a bit of an odd one. I mean, you can, as a teleradiologist not see an animal. And that's quite bizarre um, as a veterinarian. We we as a company really encourage all of our radiologists and specialists that work with us to do a clinical job as well. I don't want them to be sitting in front of computers all the time. So we encourage people to do split roles. You, you do some radiology. and mm-hmm. um, Maybe interpreting images on a screen, but also you go and do some ultrasound in a practice, and mm. you, you meet, meet some pets that 's important actually, and you, yeah, it, I think keeps
2: it real so so how did you get to that point you know, how did you get to the to that feeling that that is what was needed for your team to have them more balanced and more rounded and stuff? was it because you went through and had you hired radiologists who were just pure computer screen you know, sitting there and that was what they did. Did, they, did their level of performance and diagnostic skills start to drop away or did, you, did they start to disconnect? What was it, the thing that made you kind of think that's kind of the, the balance? Because I'm sure it would have been like, hey, it would be so much easier if our guys just focus on this one thing rather than have split kind of responsibilities. So I don't know. How did you get to that point?
0: Yeah, yes. They, there's lots of different models for doing tele the, the model that was in place when I started this company um, was a, a model that didn't really appeal to me and I wanted to do things differently. The model that was in place was basically radiologists reporting as many cases as possible per hour, as many hours of the week as possible in order to make good commercial businesses. And I didn't I didn't fit with that. It's, It's not really me. Uh, it, it, it wasn't the way I wanted to do things. So I wanted to do things differently. Um, And so I tried to set this up in such a way that we are genuinely listening to the needs of the vets out there who are relying on a radiologist to interpret their images. And in order to do a good job of that, you have to stay relevant, relevant. I think a very important word in this. There's a danger with radiologists sitting behind a screen, never seeing an animal, that they become irrelevant quite quickly because you don't get as much feedback in that scenario. You see some radiographs, x-rays, you write a report, you send it out. Unless you have a good vet on the other end who's got the time, which is rare to to tell you, Hey, this is what happened and you were right or you were wrong, which we love to, we love to know that by the way. And if, If you sit in that environment for a long time, you can get quite disconnected, really, um, and actually just start to believe that you're right every time, which is a dangerous thing. So so my idea of keeping people in practice as well is that they stay relevant. They see what's needed in a clinical situation. um, They see the pets. They stay up to date a lot of people who are radiologists work in a specialist practice and therefore they're talking to other specialists they understand what a surgeon needs what an ophthalmologist mm-hmm. needs and what a neurologist needs and and that keeps them i think more cutting edge more relevant and i think happier as well um, and the happier bit comes from i actually did a lot of teleradiology the first few years when i set this up which was almost 24 hours a day seven days a week because when you start a business you're kind of in the thick of it and that's not very fun um to be behind a computer screen that many hours it's not very healthy or fun so i i really recognized early that actually to have the balance and and to to see family and friends and do some sports and do some clinical work and some tele radiology work that was a much better mix for everybody
1: that's excellent. I, I've, I've been going through, your, through the Vet CT website and I was fascinated to see all the different aspects as well because in my mind, it's exactly that model that you talk about. radiology means, yeah, you send us your pictures and we tell you what, what we see and that's the end of that. But you guys do quite a lot of other things in the company as well. There's something about 3D modeling. Oh, you, I, I, you Tell me about it. Have you, what, what are you excited about for, for your mm-hmm. company? for the stuff that you're working on for the and, and what, what can veterinarians expect to see from the from the imaging world in the next five to ten years.
0: Yeah, no, thank you. I, I think um I I'm a victim sometimes of my own excitement and enthusiasm about multiple different projects. So so we do tons of other stuff. Um, and we actually increasingly think about ourselves as a telemedicine company rather than just teleradiology. And um, so some of the other things that we do alongside ct scanning um, 3d printing became a thing you, you could print out bones and create models which is kind of cool which enables to plan you can plan surgical techniques you can even practice your surgical technique in advance so that's pretty cool so we we got into that and we still do that and um, from day one i've been a massive believer in education and um, i strongly believe that vets uh, are people with very active, intelligent minds who like to keep growing and learning all the time? So, so from the beginning, we've tried to make everything we do educational. So, we run educational courses. Um, we actually now do online student courses as well in radiology, um, which are really fun and interactive with quizzes and bits and pieces like this. And we teach radiology residents, we teach general practitioners about imaging. Um, and then our, our latest and biggest venture is that we started a medicine hospital. And the idea behind that is that uh, any vet can call and speak or have an interaction with any specialist um, about those, those cases where you just, as a GP vet, need a little bit more help. Um, this is targeted at trying to help patients that can't be referred. Mm. So we, we really do appreciate that referral hospitals are amazing and do a wonderful job and I have huge respect for for those environments and and if I had a sick dog who had something complicated I would be straight off to my local referral hospital and um, but there is a, a pool of patients who could benefit from specialist input who never actually make it to that physical referral and that might be because the owner doesn't have enough money to to go for a referral, um, or they can't travel, or potentially there isn't that type of specialty available at their local hospital. So we're trying to fill in the gap. Um, so essentially, if you're a GP and you're dealing with a tricky ophthalmology case, you can get advice from an ophthalmologist. Um, you can get uh, advice from a neurologist for a, a tricky neurology case. And the way we do that, again, is in a teleway. way. So for ophthalmology, we have an imaging guide as to how you would take photographs of the eye and what we need to see. Um, for neurology, we allow people to submit videos of, of what the patient is doing, videos of the neuro exam. Um, and then we can do guided consultations with a specialist um, with the aim of helping the patient, but also helping the vets, making their life a bit easier and increasing their professional satisfaction because we want them to avoid interaction and learn from it.
2: So, so okay, we jumped way, way, way ahead. And like, okay, so, so how did you go from specialist radiologist to vet CT like what was that what was that point my mind, you just like you know like I want to try something different or you know so what was it
0: yeah no good question so I had been um so I did my radiology residency and then afterwards I I went to America um to the University of Pennsylvania, and I was there for a couple of years. Um, and then I went to Australia, WA, went to university, Murdoch University, had an absolutely fantastic time, loved it, almost didn't come home. Um, and then I came home for a bit to the UK and worked at the Animal Health Trust, uh, quite a big center of neurology wow. yeah. in the UK. And then I went um, to Florida University and worked there for a while. So, so I kind so of- this was all
1: when you were really a specialist, you board boarded certified. Yeah. Okay, okay, cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah kind of a good passport being um well i think it's a good passport being a vet because that's a very um a career you can travel with well it was pre-coronavirus um Hmm. but it's also a good passport being a, a specialist because there's always lots of interesting roles for specialists and i liked teaching so university jobs were really interesting to me and and i think everywhere go and you learn different things and you pick up different things but as a result of all that i'd met a lot of different people around the world and then they started to contact me and say hey would you mind just having a look at this ct for me and would you mind giving me what you think of these radiographs and that kind of grew and grew and eventually, I was like, oh, this is quite a lot of work. <laughs> I better organize this better. So then I, I kind of just organized it better. And then I thought, oh, I need a bit of help with this now and, and got more people involved. And it kind of grew organically like that. It's kind of weird. I almost didn't really intend to do it. And, and then as it grew, um, I started to think about how, if I was going to do this, how I wanted to do it. And that's where this thinking about a model of, of having specialists that, that are relevant and yeah, useful. And I think not on a pedestal. Specialists shouldn't be on a pedestal. We're, we're just another part of veterinary medicine and we should be really um, helpful and respectful to all our colleagues and useful,
2: I think. Mm-hmm. I love how, it, how the market, right, the veterinary profession almost kind of created this and, and organically it was created as opposed to, hey, you know what, what could I do next? How can I earn money? this is my next money making venture you know yeah, yeah. like people came to you organically because of who you are what you did the value you brought and then you have to create something around that you know that's that's super cool
0: it's a weird way to start start a business no, that that's that's nice of you to say it's um yeah that, I, I feel very fortunate um, by having the chance to, to travel and meet lots of lovely people who who then had interesting images that they wanted opinions of <laughs> I,
2: i've got a quick question how the hell do you interpret ultrasounds like did like to like because i get sent ultrasound images and we, we do like i do ultrasounds via, like i'm like no stop it don't send me these crappy clips okay um, put me in front of the ultrasound. So I'll, I'll watch the, the, the ultrasounds in our hospital on FaceTime, right? It'd be like, okay, so you're in the right cranial quadrant. And so like spatially, I've got an idea where they are. And I can, no, no, you've gone too fast, stop, 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 you know, adjust the steady. And so I can tell them to walk them through it. And that definitely helps apart from being sent like a 15-second clip of something that's shady and kind of, you know, not too sure where it, like, is that even a thing? How do you even do that?
0: As, as a, yeah, this is a huge dilemma Um when I when I fell into this um I, I wanted to do this in a really high quality way I, I kind of wanted people to have huge trust in the reports that, that we were creating um, and with ultrasound that's really difficult so essentially if you if you're reading an x-ray or you're reading a ct what I'm seeing is exactly the same as the vet who took that image as long as you in a right file type, we get images and we don't compress them. So we make sure that what we're seeing is perfect. It's exactly what the person saw at the other end. With an ultrasound, that's super hard. And Mm. as somebody like, obviously you guys do a lot of ultrasound and you know, it's all about how you position your hand and what view you got and what you're looking at and whether you feel like you've interrogated the whole of the abdomen or the whole of the neck. I mean, the musculoskeletal is even more complicated. So I always felt from the beginning, in all honesty, I couldn't do a good job of interpreting other people's ultrasounds. Um, and that I could certainly make a business out of that and charge for it. Um, but I feel a bit guilty putting my name on a report where I knew, well, maybe they missed, I don't know, a big lump in the middle of the abdomen that I, I wish they'd seen. So we have never done, as a company, ultrasound interpretation. We stayed away from it. I mean, I think... Uh, yeah, we, we've turned down an awful lot of work over the years as a result of that. And we've had clients who have said, you know what, I would use your company, but I want you to read my ultrasounds. And I've said, no, we don't do it. And I've tried to explain why. And then they've gone to another company that will read the ultrasounds. So I've tried to be very, um, I, I guess, on my moral high horse about this yeah, to some yeah. extent. And if I feel we can't do a good job, I'm not going to do it. And we're not going to charge for it, basically. So I think it might change. Um, the, in the human world, ultrasonography is done by highly trained sonographers who take very standardized images, and there's an awful lot of thought that's gone into developing algorithms and protocols about image acquisition and ultrasound. I think that is coming in veterinary medicine, and already you've got the American College of Veterinary Radiology looking at that, and, and the European College as well, and probably the Fellowship as well, um, so the College of Specialists. So i think it might come and with that comes a standardized training program standardized image acquisition and then that makes reporting a lot easier mm. but but we haven't been there to date um, so that's why we've never done it
2: no no i appreciate you, you explaining that because like half the time i was thinking like do they do ultrasound as well because i'm I would, I would love to know how to do that because that just blows my mind you know yeah but um, I think-
0: doing it as you said earlier is like a live where you sit and watch somebody do it um, and you can see their hand and you can see where they're going and some companies have tried to do that over the years but it's tremendously time-consuming and labor-intensive to do a good job A difficult thing to teach remotely. I mean we have looked at ways of teaching it because I'd like I'd like to teach it. I think it's so useful, ultrasound and there's so many people that want to learn it. Yeah. And I think it's hard to teach in vet school and it's hard to teach to GP vets too. So I'm I'm trying to actually keep an open mind about and investigating some things at the moment about ways that we could teach it better, mm. have good protocols and then potentially interpret. But but it's a work in progress. Mm.
1: Virtual reality 5G, something
2: along those lines. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you, you, you'd be yeah. nauseous in like three seconds like getting getting someone who's new to ultrasound on the ultrasound probe you're like <laughs> <laughs> you're moving too fast you're going past it stop it
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah.
1: so i'm going to take a complete left turn Yeah. so somewhere on that journey between america and western australia and florida and all over you met your husband i presume that would have been there somewhere yes <laughs> that's, that's that's great who's also a who's, who's also a veterinary radiologist is that right
0: that's exactly right yeah so um my husband's French and we met at the Animal Health Trust in Newmarket in the UK and we were working together um and actually we did actually after I finished at the Animal Health Trust and had been in Florida for a while we lived in Paris um for a year and a half as well so so that was another piece of the journey and I, I had to learn to speak French which was quite challenging because <laughs> I'm not I'm definitely more of a scientist brain than I am a linguist <laughs> um but yeah so so my husband Julien he's a veterinary radiologist as well and we run the company together and um, and that's that's been great and and I can certainly expand more on that because there's definitely pros and cons of working together uh as as a husband-wife team yeah and um, we We've really made it work, and it's one of the things I'm really proud of, actually.
1: Well, that that's exactly my question because it's not yeah, a, it's okay. not an uncommon thing. i made married to a vet. Torada's partner is a is a vet as well, and they also in business together. I don't I don't work with my wife. It's a, it's a not an uncommon thing, and, and then often will lead to practice ownership together or something like that. Uh, how did you make it work? Because I, I I have definitely heard that it is a challenge for for many people, and potentially a relationship busting challenge.
0: Mm. <laughs> yeah i think it's it's something you have to really work hard on and and have a lot of mutual respect i think is very very important and, and team spirit um and i think you become partners in work in the same way that you're partners in the rest of your life and um, you become a real team i mean we basically one's got the kids one's got work and that switches over like that all the time and and you 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 get really good at that, but it takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of um, sticking at it, I think. We, um, I think we're very complementary. I think that really helps. Uh, we, we have aspects of our personalities that are quite similar and aspects that are different. So we're really good at bouncing ideas off each other and we'll often have a, a different opinion on things. And if you can listen to the other person and respect those opinions, you can often find something in the middle that is actually really much better than one of you going one way or one of you going the other way. It's that kind of one plus one makes three idea. And if you can make that work, it's really cool. Um, But you do have to stick at it and you do have to um, spend a lot of time together, to be honest. It's quite interesting because with recent coronavirus lockdown, um, I feel like me and my husband were more prepared for this than many other people. (laughs) We spend all day together anyway and we, yeah and we work from home sometimes too so I think if you get it right it can be a tremendously wonderful powerful thing and it can actually strengthen your relationship um outside your home relationship as well as your work relationship so but it but it takes a lot of work um, and a lot of people say to us I don't know how you do that <laughs> I think a lot of people go I could never work with my partner um but I'll give you an example and um, we never, ever have an argument about somebody having to work a bit longer or a bit later, ever, because you know that that person, you know what they're doing is the first thing. Uh, you know that they're working for for your team project, for your family and your, your project that you two are doing together. And I think there's things like that where you have a, a greater understanding of each other and and actually you're pulling towards the same goal um, in a very clear way.
1: Is- so is there not a risk there then that because it is such a such a clear goal and you don't have somebody who's not in the in the same boat almost just to sometimes say to you, hey, come home, get away from work. <laughs> we want to see you, the kids want to see you. Is it is, yeah. is that is that a risk sometimes?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, we're both total workaholics and incredibly passionate about our jobs. Um, but luckily we're incredibly passionate about our children um, and our families well and and so that i think all works out nicely because it's not like one thing takes precedent over the other and work would never take precedent over family and we're we're really clear on that Um, but but sometimes we do work really long hours but then we try to pick up the slack for the other person when that that has to happen and but yeah you've got to you've got to look at the whole picture you can't just think about work you have to think about being good parents at the same time and and get that balance right it's really important and good children to parents and siblings to your brothers and sisters and good friends to your friends I mean there's a lot to throw into that mix
2: did you find you had to have uh, like I totally agree with the um two minds a bit than one um and I love the gray um, Alex sometimes gets frustrated with the gray and I get frustrated way too but when you get to the gray which is the one plus one equals gray to me it's like okay we came to somewhere in between the middle yay like so we celebrate the gray um, but did you have to find a specific area like are, are you more operations or and as he's more business development or is there like is there a key focus there for each of you guys or
0: yeah absolutely and I think there's things that it's got easier and easier over time in, in the early days. Um, so I, I kind of started it and then Julian came in really quite early on to, to doing it together. And in the early days, it was kind of both of us doing everything if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And actually both being radiologists, but as it grew, we've added to our team and that's helped a lot because we, we now have different teams doing different things. And so our two jobs have separated to running different teams, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Okay. So I, I am, uh, i i like people so i do a lot of the kind of people side of things and the hr side of things um and and julien does a, a lot of that he he's very clever in terms of technical stuff technology so he does a lot of the it side of things he's also pretty good at events and things like that because we obviously do quite a lot of events and marketing mm. and bits and pieces like that so we've fallen into different areas which has been great um but but we collaborate well on them and there's obviously that's another benefit of working with your partner there's tremendous trust between you i think to a husband running a business there's there's just a lot of trust that you take for granted in in that and um, so we we understand what the other one's doing and we collaborate on that, but we do have our separate roles now. Obviously we're both still vets and we're both still radiologists and, and that was always be the, the focus. Um, but yeah, in terms of running the business, we've, we've separated that out. Something else that helped us, um, and it wasn't particularly environmentally friendly in the first place, was we, we used to drive to work in separate cars. So our office is about a 15 minute drive from our house, and initially in the early days, we used to go to the office in the same car. And that was just all a bit much. Like you got up together, you had breakfast together, you went to work in car, sat in the office all day together, you came home together, it was too much. So we we bought like a second car. I don't know if you have them in Australia, the little smart cars. I've yeah, yeah. seen those tiny yeah, like a little bubble car. So that automatically meant that you would leave home in the morning and say goodbye, arrive at the office as well <laughs> <five laughs> 15 minutes later mm. and, and just have that degree of separation. That made a huge difference. Um, we now have electric cars, so I feel better about that.
1: <laughs> but it's, oh, uh, yeah, amazing. it does. That's such a nice practical little tip because you're right. There's there's something about when we talk a lot about resetting and reframing and getting yourself from work mode into family mode. And a lot of that happens in the car. Uh, And Mm. it's much harder for that to happen when you're driving with somebody else, especially if there's someone else is also the person you just worked with. So it's very easy for those work conversations to spill into the car. It actually draws a line between work and home. I like that a lot. That's excellent.
0: It made a big difference. And actually just listening to the radio because he likes French radio and I listen to British radio and just 15 minutes. doing the standing in a car. It's, like, it's a good thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was really interesting you say that Um, because Alex and I drive to the gym in separate cars and it's like a 20-minute drive. And, like, sometimes I think about, you know, like that's a waste of petrol. But I listen to the music that pumps me up. She listens to whatever heavy R&B that, that, that she loves. Um, and then, and then, and then what, it, what happens is like on the way home, we might run rendezvous for dinner or we'll pick something up separately. But it's those kind of little moments where, and when we started COVID, we didn't leave the house. So we used to have both um, upstairs, we used to have our offices upstairs and like five metres away from each other. And then one day she just chucked the shit and she, she pushed me downstairs. So, I, <laughs> <laughs> so um, because we would have meetings, we be in the same meetings but on different computers. But then what happened is we couldn't, we couldn't have meetings because the other person would hear the other meeting. So, so practically, so I've so got demoted downstairs and now we have our own workspaces. And the agreement was eight to nine, we go for a walk. Nine o'clock is work. And between nine and three, you do what you need to do. I do what I need to do, and then four to five, five is exercise, and then we have a chat over dinner. And then so, so we kind of structured our own times.
0: Mm. Very sensible. I think every every couple has to. Well, every couple, particularly during COVID, had to find their own way through that. And <laughs> um, but I, I think particularly when you work together, you've got to have that structure. I can agree more with you. Uh, and I I think you've got to have your own space. Actually you really have and your own ownership of things as well. Like this is my area and I'm in charge of this. And that's, that's really important actually that you each have that. Um,
1: yeah. Uh, So you you mentioned you workaholics you're both co-business owners, uh, but then you're very committed parents as well. Now that's something, when I get feedback about the podcast, um, a lot of our audience are are moms and they say to me, show us females who are moms, who are also effective business leaders and how the hell do they do it? So how do you do it? How do you practically make specifically business ownership work with parenting as well?
0: I think, well, firstly, family comes first and and you have to kind of make that clear in your own head because it's quite easy for my business to feel like a third child sometimes. And I do sometimes refer to it like that, but but you have to be clear that it is um, not quite on the same standing as the other two who are real little people. (laughs) Um, And so I think if you get that clear in your head, that helps. And then it's about uh, rigorous time management, I would say, and trying to be in the right zone at the right time. And for me, I find that that helps a lot to have separate space and kind of just separate. I, I separate everything um, quite uh, in, in quite a military style. So I have one email address for home stuff, but one email address for for work stuff. So on my home email address, I deal with the school and I deal with the nursery and all the things like that. When I'm with the kids, I try to be absolutely 100% mentally with the kids I try not to be thinking about work and actually in a separate space because they can feel that these Mm. little people are right They, they know when you're not mentally with them and I try to have really really quality time with the children and and to to really listen to them I think rather than just sort of paying lip service to it if that makes sense so that I know I'm there all the time. I, I can't be there all the time and run a business. It's impossible. Um, but I try to make sure that the times I'm with them, I'm truly with them and they're getting sort of full value from me. Um, and that that I just try to pay attention to being a really good parent. It's not always easy and parenting is never perfect. Um, I, I, I don't think running a business is ever perfect either. Um, but I think if you try to separate them, have your priorities clear, and um, and just yeah be organized and show lots of love and kindness um in both environments but particularly the home environment that that goes a long way um i think good childcare as well i mean i i couldn't do my job without really great childcare, um and finding people that you trust um to, to do a good job of being there with your kids when you can't be there all the time mm. that's really important but it is hard and there's a lot of guilt um there's a lot of guilt that you're neither doing one thing or the other well enough. And I think in that respect, you have to be kind to yourself and actually think I'm doing my best of both of these things. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that's quite important to say is I think I'm probably a better mum for having a job that I enjoy and I'm passionate about. I've definitely not ever been somebody that, that I think I couldn't be a full-time mum. I think there's some amazing, amazing full-time moms out there who do a brilliant job of that. But I, I, it's not me. And I, I like to have this other side of me as well. And it make I think it makes me better at being a good mum when I'm with the kids.
1: That's, that's excellent. I, I think the guilt thing there, that's what I get a lot of when, when I speak to, to well, my my wife's event as well. Um, but it is that well, am, am I doing, am I doing either of them well enough? Um, that that is a big thing so I like that be kind to yourself you're doing your best and, and I love that you you have to do the stuff that you love it's really useful
0: well I kind of think it's well so I have my my children's two girls um, and I kind of think it's important for them also to see uh, good role models essentially mm. um, and I think it I've always really loved having a career. I, I feel very passionate about it and very lucky to have a career that I really enjoy. And I think that's kind of a good thing for my girls to see that. And what's something to be ashamed of um, or try to hide from them. Um, I, I want them to be happy in life, whatever they choose to do. I really don't mind what they choose to do, but I want them to know that all doors are open to them um, and, and that I will encourage whatever they want to do and whatever aspirations they have or achievements they want to achieve.
2: Victoria, you said before that you've got you know, team members around the world. How do you manage remote teams? How do you manage teams yeah, in different time zones, all that kind of stuff?
0: So we were probably um, one of like, – Zoom's become a great big thing during coronavirus, mm. but we've been using Zoom and things like that for years and years prior to this. Um, we do an absolute ton of video calling. I think it's never as good as the – actual being physically in the same room as people but i think seeing each other face to face is massively important and um, so in terms of managing remote teams i think facetime's important i think talking is important and um, getting to know each other is important we also try to have actual events um, where we actually physically get the team together and get them to know each other. And then we do things like, I don't know, we, we go and make pizzas together. A couple of years ago, we were all in Switzerland for a conference. We went to make chocolate together. Aye. So I think we, that was really good. <laughs> so when, when you are, um, when you have the opportunity to physically get together, we, we really try and optimize that. Um, but we do a ton of online meetings and a ton of chatting. And um, we also do a lot of, um, I think, just fun things together online not just all work related so uh, during the coronavirus period we've been running a, a kids club where we did some fun stuff we got everybody to bring their kids onto the camera and we did some fun stuff for them I did a radiology quiz somebody else did guess the animal poo. I thought was inspired so they showed all the different poo and they had to guess which oh, animal it was
2: that's
1: they what, so what, radiology images and then the kids had to guess or, or guess at yeah, no, all from what?
0: The one I did um, was guess the species, guess which patient this is from an x-ray. Yeah. Um, I also did. We did one with chocolate bars as well. We had x-rays of chocolate bars and they had to yeah. guess which the chocolate bar was. They loved that. Um, like and so. then one of my colleagues she did like animal facts and and one of them was uh guess the animal poo um just from pictures of poo so yeah, yeah. but th- things like that and then we've done um we did uh less kid orientated this but we did a wine tasting for our team online Um uh, We did a whiskey tasting. We did a, because one of my colleagues lives in Scotland and he's big into single malt. So he did a proper like formal, that, that was an evening session, funnily enough but that's complicated because we have people that work in Australia and US and UK. So it's not evening for everybody. Um, but we also somebody did an online surf lesson. Somebody did a, which is hard to do. Uh, we did yoga and lots of things like that. Too. So I think those types of engagement, you can be quite creative. We did a pub quiz. So, so I think trying to be engaging with your team, but I think one of the most important things is actually just showing people that you care. Mm. Um, that actually you're a real person and they're not just stuck at the end of a internet connection miles and miles away from you um that, that's very important
1: that translates nicely to when people talk about increased um, telemedicine for for gp vets and everything like that that, that same thing is, is is showing showing if you're dealing with clients online showing them that you that you care somehow if if you're just doing it online, so you haven't had the opportunity for the for the one to one in person contact, it sounds it might it, you might not have an answer for this, but have you got any tips to create that instant connection or or how how?
0: Yeah. I think that's really really important. Um, I I think it's a it's much harder. I, I think we talked about this earlier, but actually trying to create connections with people online that you haven't actually met before in person is tricky Mm. and i think having cameras on is massively important so so we're doing increasing amounts of telemedicine um, in terms of specialist advice for veterinary surgeons and we don't do the vet to pet owner type of telemedicine and but for those types of consultations we're we're definitely doing a lot more video calling and trying to build relationships that way and i think a lot of trying to add value to your clients is trying to Put yourself in their shoes, understand what problems they're facing, what, what their day is like and how, how you can best help that and be useful. And some of that is just very simple. Vets are truly busy and we, we have to be careful about that and not take up their time or waste their time. I think trying to be useful to people and give them a very high quality service and reliable, trustworthy service is a great way to relationship build. Um, and we try to do a lot of added value things as well. So things like teaching, training, CPD, always trying to recognise that our clients as veterinary surgeons are highly skilled, intelligent people who, who are interested in learning and growing in their own right. They don't want to be patronised, that's very important. Um, they want to be helped and supported and respected. So I think trying to get those relationships right um, and, and really be a trusted partner, a trusted extension of their practice adds value to what they're trying to achieve in their daily job. Mm. It is the best I can say. Before COVID, we, we try to get our clients together at events as well. So at conferences like vet shows and um, international conferences and country-based conferences, we try to get together and have some beers together with your clients because I think that's counts. That's important. Oh, yeah, yeah and, and just get to them. And we also ask for a lot of feedback. I think that's really important. Like, I literally today I've sent out a load of surveys um, to our clients about how do you think we're doing you know we're trying to get this right but maybe we didn't get this right um so that listening i think having a, an open ear to listening to what people want is important
1: well i'll give you some feedback straight away we we've signed up our hospital for for vet cts the, the telemedicine support and we've used it a few times and the feedback is really good uh and this is emergency stuff so in the middle of the night i've got vets Voting the UK and getting getting advice, that's really useful advice. So good, good feedback.
0: <laughs> uh, no, that's great. I mean, that's really what we're trying to achieve. Is I think that the twenty four hour nature of what we do um, is pretty cool and, and can be super. Useful. I mean, when I was doing emergency practice, if I had been able to. I don't know, say I got a tricky eye case or a neuro case in the middle of the night or something, a fitting dog I couldn't deal with or an eye hanging out. It's quite nice to know that you could call a specialist to yeah. ask about that in the middle of the night. And that, that's the real um, comfort, I think, and, and can help better patient management as well. Absolutely. So that's the aim. Well, that's good. I'm glad you like it.
1: Right, Victoria. So it's a podcast. We, we hopefully have podcast listeners. Uh, are you a podcast listener?
0: I do, yeah. I love podcasts. Actually. So have, you, have you got um, any
1: favorites that I should add to my playlist?
0: uh well they're they usually um uk-based satire programs so i, I don't have <laughs> much interest to you guys um there's uh yeah i like comedy i have to say i, I mainly listen to comedy and satire and um, i do now increasingly try to listen to veterinary ones as well um, but sometimes it's just nice to switch off yeah, yeah and, true. And, and comedy stuff
1: yeah I, I love british comedy have you got any favorites
0: uh, well, there's one I watch. I listen to called the Friday night comedy podcast from a, a radio station called Radio Four, um, and they do they do one that it's not on all the time, but they do one called Dead Ringers, which is an impression show, and they they do the most amazing impressions of British political and famous figures, but also global leaders as well. I won't name names, but it's very funny <laughs> and it's very. <laughs> I, can like, imagine, they, I can imagine. I can
1: imagine who okay, they get. sort of. So as soon as we log off here, I'm listening to that. I'm going to give that a try. <laughs> and then our very last one that we like to wrap up with. Um, you are speaking through a teleconference uh, to all of the new graduate vets of the year, which is actually happening. I see they've got all these online veterinary graduation parties. And you have a few minutes to give all of them one message. Uh, what, what's your one message to the new grad vets of the world?
0: It's a really, really good question that you just flung me there. (laughs) Um, I think be kind to yourself and be kind to one another because I truly think that vets are kind and caring people, and that's why we go into this profession. And if we stay really true to that and and keep that at the center of everything we do, particularly being kind to yourself because it's it's a hard job sometimes mm. and, and we all try our best and it can be quite stressful and quite tough. So, so be kind to yourself, appreciate that you're always just trying your best and be kind to your colleagues because they might've had a really tough day. Um, but but I think it's a wonderful profession. We are so incredibly lucky to be veterinarians. And, and I, I think every vet I've ever met is pretty much a really nice person. Mm. And you don't get that in every path, every career path. Mm.
2: I love it. It's simple and love it. I totally agree what you say
1: about vets being lovely people. That's my, that's my greatest joy with the podcast is every single person does it regardless what part of the profession and what part of the world. At the end of it, I always go, what a nice person. That was so nice. <laughs> like that.
0: We're very lucky. My, my sister's a lawyer and it's very different in her profession. God, <laughs> like, oh, You deal with all these nice people. It's, yeah. It, we're very lucky. I mean, I think we, we sometimes take that a bit for granted that we're surrounded by really nice
1: folk. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Victoria, thank you so much for your time. I love that. Yeah, I can chat with you for hours. Well, um, I think we'll call it a wrap there. Thanks again. Thank it's you so, so much. much. Lovely, lovely to meet you guys.
0: Thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you for listening. Remember to go check out the show notes at thevetvault.com for a summary of some of the best bits from the episodes and our guests' favorite resources. If you found value in this and you can think of a friend or a colleague who could benefit from the content, then please do them a favor and share this episode with them.